All right, I think we're good to go now. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a word from our proud partners. Well, our first partner is actually myarkv.org. All right, myarkv.org is where you're going to get your your traditional education step by step. We have our for Arcview Basic and our Arcview Scholarship Track, and that's where we're going to, we have, you can study all day because we have pre-recorded classes over 55 pre-recorded classes. And every semester we have about a 10 to a dozen live virtual classes, virtual meaning live, but it's online. So you, and we have a WhatsApp group that will be uh, answering all your questions and supporting you. In fact, today's topic is based on something from this WhatsApp group. Our second proud sponsor is Professors 121. If one to one, actually, it's one and the digits to one, one to one. Um, if you need tutoring or if you want to be a tutor, go to professors121.com. Right. I'm only saying 121 so people know that it's it's all digits, one to one. And you can become a a professor, uh, a tutor, or you can get tutoring for your kids in any topic, by the way. They got so many topics. The only topic I think they don't have is like Mandarin or something. Secondly, thirdly, Mecca Books. MeccaBooks.com is where we get all our books. MeccaBooks.com is where Safina Society has gotten its books for its students for over 10 years almost now. We're, we're coming upon 10 years, a little under 10 years. So MeccaBooks.com is where you want to get all your stuff from, your books, your scarves, everything else that you want to get, and we will mention all this again. Today's topic. Assalamu alaikum. All right, Ramadan Mubarak. I have a friend looking to answer a question. All right, that question is, why Islam and not other religions? Why Islam and not other religions? That's the first question. There's a lot of other questions too. Okay. Why Islam and not other religions? Well, the first answer to that was answered by Imam al-Ghazali. Sayyidina Imam al-Ghazali, he actually answered this question. And he said that in order for a religion, for us to, to alter our beliefs and our behavior, okay, if I'm going to alter my beliefs and my behavior, I need to know that I need to know that that religion was actually true. And that was actually stated as it was. So in other words, if I'm going to live by the Bible, don't I need to know that, that uh, what's in the Bible was actually what Jesus said? If I'm going to live by the Torah, isn't the precondition to that to be certain that this is actually the word of Moses? Because this is transmitted. I'm not behaving, I'm not altering my behavior because of an observed reality. I'm not altering my behavior because of a rational thing that you brought me. I'm altering my behavior because of what you're telling me, Moses said, or Jesus said, or Siddhartha Gautama, who also known as the Buddha, said. Okay. All right. What did the Buddha say? Do we actually have any certainty that that's what they said? Because I need, and we're going to alter our behavior here. Because if you want spirituality, spirituality, your soul is in here. Your body influences your soul, and your soul influences your body. It's a two-way street. So if you want spirituality, you need to to alter your behavior. And all these religions call for that. They call for this is the standard of goodness. And you behave accordingly. Right? And this is what is true about the unseen. So you need to believe that. But what's the basis of that belief? 
the basis of the belief is that that's what they're transmitting to us. It's a transmission. All right. So what Imam al-Ghazali said and what is commonsensical is that examine the transmission. All of those other faiths that are competing with Islam, Judaism, Christianity, maybe Buddhism, maybe Hinduism, and they have uh, some books that they operate with. I'm not even going to consider the, the religions that came after Islam. None of them really compete in a, in a serious way, like Sikhism, for example. Does not compete with Islam in a serious way. Um, the the Mormonism is a religion that is based on the prophet claimed claim of prophecy of John Smith. Okay, so we're going to reject that too because it's, they're not really competing. Okay, but the competitive religions out there that you say, okay, what are the religions? You're going to say Buddhism, Judaism, Christianity. Okay, and Hinduism is is so all over the place it's not even they they never even called it hinduism it's the british who called it hinduism they just had different local gods that's all it was so that's the first answer to your question is that none of those faiths can offer you with any certainty that this is actually what moses said or jesus said or, or buddha said things have been lost in between so so no rational person is going to act upon something that isn't certain a transmission that isn't certain someone says to you hey listen you go need to change you know all your headlights on your car because the rules of the state have changed regarding headlights on the cars you got to go change them all right are you going to act upon that i'm going to have to go and, and go through the headache of changing all the headlights on my cars i wouldn't do that until what do i say hey are you sure Show me the proof that the state law has changed and I have to change my... So any behavior based upon transmission, behavioral change based upon transmission, I need to know for sure that they said that. And the answer to that is, cannot be certain that they said that. There is no certainty. In fact, they themselves, the Jewish and Christian scholars, will admit that they have no clue who transmitted their Bible. I've taken these classes. Right. And they just give them like they, they know the writing styles. There are four different writing styles. So they just give them different letters like P, Q, R for for to, 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 to demarcate the styles of writing. So they know that there's a certain style here. There's a completely different style of writing here. There's four different authors who wrote this thing. There's no way for them to show us a chain of transmission. What do we have in Islam? We have something called the chain of transmission. And we have that. For the Quran, in a way that there's no doubt about it, and we have that for the Hadith of the Prophet in a way that even the non-believer, a kafir, Harold Matsky, has admitted that when the Muslims say that a Hadith is Sahih, it's probably what the Prophet said. Now, that's not our source, but it is a source for someone who's like on doubt, and he's like, ah, oh, well, you guys are apologists, meaning that you support your religion anyway. So I want to hear it from a, from someone who doesn't like you. Here's the guy who he's a that that man's a kafir. Harold Matsky is not a Muslim. I'm saying kafir like in a legalistically speaking, his category is he's a non-believer, right? Yet he's admitting to you and he's telling you that when the Muslim scholars talk about their hadith and say sahih, that's what it is, right? It probably it is very likely this is what Muhammad said, right? If not he has much more certainty 
than the, the adjectives that I just used. Right? Now, when it comes to the Qur'an, let's take another look at it. Let's look practically what's happening with the Qur'an. Go to any country, go to any mosque, pick up the Qur'an off the shelf, and compare them. You will find the same book. So practically speaking, this is not just a theory that we're saying. We can show you the practice of it, or the application of it, or the demonstration of it. Go to any country, and you will find the books on their shelves, coming off their shelves, are all the same book. It's the same Qur'an. No matter what people try to cast doubt upon it. I have a prof- I had a I had a boss one time at Yale. This guy, his job now is to cast doubt on the Quran. I'm saying, like, why are you wasting your time? Practically speaking, go to any mosque in the entire world. It's the same book. And it's in Arabic. Go to any mosque in the entire world. The prayer is exactly as it's described that the Prophet prayed, how the Prophet prayed. The five prayers a day are exactly as the Prophet said it. So that's, uh, uh, in terms of the comparison between the two religions, or the, the, the main religions, we don't even get into a comparison. Because the precondition of a, a following a faith, the precondition, before we even think about it, is that we have to be certain that that God, or that that Prophet, his words are in this book. And you have none of that certainty by the admission of the Jewish and Christian scholars that their book is not preserved. And in fact, it has been played with. It has been altered. It's been translated. It's been translated from so many languages to different languages that the original, the, the middleman language has been lost. Like the middleman translations are lost. To have translations from uh, whatever Hebrew to Greek to English or to Latin to English, whatever it is. So you're not even translating. The English is not even being translated from the Hebrew, right? It's not even being translated directly in many cases. And if to get the Bible, you have to ask yourself which version. Why? Because alteration is so easy. You, you can alter the Bible so easily and sell it. So these books are altered. Those religions cannot even be relied on just historically to say what it is. You know what this is called? This is called discovery. In any case... We have to lay out what are the facts before we even judge the case. That's called discovery. So this thing fails on discovery. We're not even sure that this is what Moses said or Jesus said or otherwise. Okay. Even if we were sure, right, you know, the claim in the Quran and the claim of the Prophet is that Allah has taken an oath with all the prophets. If another prophet comes and he brings a revelation, you leave off what you're doing and you follow the new prophet. Why? Because there can't be chaos. There can't be two messengers with two different books at the same time. That's chaos. Now let's turn to a very simple examination on the existence of God. How do we know that there is a creator? So the first thing, we're going to look at this rationally very quickly. It's like a gloss here. Very quickly and rationally speaking, our existence here has a couple possibilities. The first possibility, we could have always existed. Like the earth could have always existed. That was like the belief, I believe, of, uh, of Aristotle. Right? The universe always existed. This world that we live in has always been here. Second possibility is that it made itself. And the third possibility is that it has a creator. We're going to see right now why the first two are impossible. The third one is necessary. 
The first one is that this world's created itself, well, or, or, the, or it has always existed. Well, that means it's infinite into the past, right? Which means infinite means it's infinite in both ways, in the past and in the future. Now, infinity, the concept, just the mere concept, anything that's infinite, you can't add to it or subtract from it, right? If it was infinite, the nature of infinity is that you can't add to it or subtract from it. What's infinity minus one? That's not even a number. It's a no such thing. What's infinity plus one? But what we live, the what we experience in life, I mean, is that we're there's constantly addition and subtraction to the world. Yesterday is gone, and tomorrow is coming, and the present uh, has is existing constantly as an addition. So time is consistently adding to the existence of the universe and the world. Right, the future is always coming on, uh, being added to the world. Uh, the population of humans is constantly coming into the world and it's decreasing. There are people disappearing, they're dying, and there are people being born. There are leaves constantly dying and there are leaves blooming. There are animals coming in and out. Right? There are planets that die and there are stars that are born. Constant change and flux. Constant change and flux indicates that it's not infinite. So the world cannot have existed forever. So that's impossible. How about the world creating itself? That's a much easier discussion. We could simply say nothing can create itself because that would require it to exist and not exist at the same time. So it doesn't exist. How can it take an action if it doesn't exist? So if it created itself, it would necessitate existence and non-existence simultaneously. Third thing. The third option is a necessary option is that a creator who does not is not subjected to the laws of this universe that exists and made this universe well what are the indicators of that okay that anything that changes must have come into existence this universe changes therefore it came into existence there must be a force outside of this universe completely that brought it into existence that's a necessary conclusion because we just said this, the world didn't exist forever. It can't have created itself. Therefore, it was created by a force outside of it or external to it, I should say. Transcendent from it is even a better word to say. Transcendent beyond all of its laws. Why? Because this world exists with laws. What goes up must come down. Things like this. These laws themselves are created. Therefore, the creator cannot be subjected to them. That's what we call the transcendent creator. And that's the philosophical definition of God. The transcendent creator who exists by necessity and brought this world into existence. What are some of the signs of this creator? Well, just look around you at the, the, the engineering of the world and the efficiency of the world. The fact that there's one creator, why, why would we say there's one creator? An example, if you look at a cell, you, the structure of an atom and the structure of a cell is the same structure. And that is that there's something in the middle and there's empty space and there are things that revolve around it. That's, let's say, forget the cell, the atom. That, that's the nature of the atom, right? There's one little nucleus and then there's protons and electrons of different types that will give you different elements, right? protons and electrons floating around a nucleus. All right, that's when you zoom in to the atom. 
Now zoom out to the universe. The entire world, the entire universe has the same model of every universe has like a sun in the middle and the planets revolve around it. It's the same exact model, which tells you that the creator of the atom, the creator of the universe is one. There's one model of creation. As opposed to, let's say, this microphone and this iPad. They have nothing to do with each other, right? They don't look alike. They are not use the same color scheme. They don't use the same plugs. So what does that tell me? It tells me they have different manufacturers. The manufacturers have nothing to do with each other. They weren't communicating. But when I see that the atom, when I look at my eye, and the eye is, is very similar. It's a nucleus, and there's things around it. There's constant similarity in the way things are done. Tells us that the, this creator is one creator. It's not multiple creators. He's one creator. Now let's take a look at another uh, uh, example. Look at the ecosystem that we live in. It rains water. That water goes down into the earth. What does that earth produce? It produces a tree. That tree releases something and intakes something. What does it release And versus what does it intake? It releases oxygen and it intakes CO2. What do we human beings, what do we intake? We intake what the tree releases and we expel CO2 and the tree takes the CO2. Creates a perfect balance in the world. We eat the leaves. The tree, in turn, the roots of the tree go in and pull more water out so that we can have water from under the earth now. And what happens is animals then will come and eat from these leaves so that the tree is an excessively strong. If the tree is too strong, it pulls up too much water. So Allah has regulated the, the tree, the world of trees and the world of vegetation is regulated. Too much of it will destroy. It will destroy the population. right? It will destroy the earth, too much of it. It pulls up the water. Well, what it pulls up too much water. So Allah has created herbivores. Their job is to regulate and eat some of the greenery. Well, what if you have too much herbivores, too many herbivores, too many sheep and deer and, and cows? They'll eat up all the vegetation. So they need to be regulated. How are they regulated? Carnivores. And a carnivore and the herbivore eventually will die. And what happens to their body? Does it just sit there? No. It deconstructs and makes the soil rich so that we could farm in that soil. You know that if you want a soil to be just, that you have bad soil. If you have bad soil, what do you do if you have bad soil? All you do is you get a bunch of sheep and goat and cows and you throw some hay there and you let them eat and walk around that, that plot of land and just urinate and defecate. And then it can even die there. That's where the wealth of the soil comes from. Rich soil. That's how you, in the old days, that's how they fixed up the soil. Just put some animals there, let them eat hay or eat whatever they want, and let them urinate and defecate all day in that soil for a year or two. That soil becomes rich with their nutrients. And then that animal will die there. It becomes rich with that nutrients over time. It takes time, of course. And then we, the system... Re so everything systems constantly replenishing itself. Now, you get some dirty water. How are you supposed to purify it? You have to go through a process of purification that's extremely difficult, right? Desalination, for example. Do you know how hard it is to desalinate water? It means take the salt out of ocean water so that you can drink it. It's really difficult.
Okay. What happens actually when we when rain comes out? Where's that rain coming from? That rain is all the evaporation, which is 95% from the oceans. It's not from the lakes. Lakes are only producing a small amount of vapor, right? The oceans are what's producing all this vapor. Goes up into the sky. How does it come down? If we didn't have cars, that water, if we didn't have air pollution, the way we pollute the air, that water would come down so perfectly clean you could drink it. It takes us factories and machines to desalinate water. That water is getting desalinated in the sky. You look out the sky, you don't see a single thing. There's a factory of desalination that you can't even see. I asked my friend, he's a geologist. I said, where does like the well water come from? He said, all the water, all the waste that goes into the earth. It goes deep into the earth and it undergoes a process of purification until it gathers up in a well and then it bursts forth a spring or a well. A spring is when the water bursts forth itself. The well is when the water is just sitting there. You have to use a bucket. That water comes up, you can drink it straight. How did that happen? So uh, this creator has made a desalination plant in the middle of the sky that you can't even see and a purification source, a purification plant in the middle of the earth that you can't even see, all so that the human being can continue to exist. So we know that this creator, he has a lot of knowledge and this creator has is one because everything is in one system. Entire universe is in one system. You think that our, our world exists by itself as it is? We need the sun. How far away is the sun, right? But that distance is the perfect distance. If the sun was smaller, it would be closer in order for us to exist. If we were any closer, just a small about closer, we'd all fry. Think about this. Uh, what is the difference between, let's say, the Sahara Desert and, let's say, a, a nice temperate climate like um, where we are, New Jersey? Like we have, every, we have a little bit of everything, right? What's the difference? What is the difference of distance from the sun? from let's say the, 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 these, these impossible deserts to live in where life cannot exist because it's just so hot versus the North Pole, for example, where it's too cold. What is the difference in distance? The sun is light years away, yet the distance between where we can't live on Earth because it's too hot versus too cold is such a small amount. Like we're not even saying move the planet. On the planet itself, there are parts that are too exposed to the sun and not exposed enough to the sun. Human beings cannot survive on either one. Just it goes to show you that that distance itself has to be the exact precise distance in order for us to exist. The moon around us, if it didn't exist, we would have a whole other set of problems. If bees were removed from the earth, it has been calculated that human beings would be wiped out within two weeks. Bees, like I don't even understand how that's happened. I'm, I'm, I, I, they made a movie about it. The bee movie is made based upon that, right? It's a, it's a, it was a fact. It was a paper uh, that got popular a while back. That if bees were suddenly just in one shot deleted from the earth, if someone went into the code of, uh, of existence and just deleted bees, we would not exist within only two weeks. How? Like, we're that delicate. So this creator has an immense amount of knowledge. And this creation is, is by his will. This is not a machine that's just creating. Like, how do we know that it's by his will? It's because certain things are set in stone 
almost like we can call them laws. And other certain things are always variable. But the things that require us to live perfectly are the, always the same. So this creator has the capability of doing everything the same. Like what? Like gravity is the same every day. Gravity doesn't change anywhere on the earth. You go to gra gravity is the same, right? Time is the same. The time passes pretty much ev everywhere on the earth, 100% in the same manner. Uh, the sun rises from the east, sets in the west every single day. The, the earth rotates the same amount of time it rotates so that you don't have a day that's 25 hours, another day that's 23 hours, another day that's 22 hours. Then you get a day that's 30 hours. It never happens. So time, gravity, certain nourishments, water will always nourish you in a certain way. Meat will always nourish you in a certain way so that if you have anemia, we know what you need. You need more red meat, for example. If you have, in, you're not digesting well, you need greens. From, from now, all the way into the time of the future, all the way to the first human beings, if you're not digesting well, eat vegetables. You'll digest better. If you're weak, eat protein. If you're dehydrated, drink water. These things never change. So that we can live a stable, civil li stable life. Otherwise, we'd go crazy. The seasons. The winter comes. In general, the winter comes. Of course, you can have, we have global warming. And, but I remember at a time, uh, and I'm sure our, the elders, anyone older could probably attest to this too. You could basically look at your watch, look at your calendar, and the winter would start. And you could look at your calendar and the spring would start. But we've sort of messed up the environment a little bit. But you have winter followed by spring, followed by summer, followed by autumn. You never have summer, then jump to autumn, then autumn, then to spring, then to winter. It never happens, right? Everything's in order. Why? So that we can know that there's an immense amount of knowledge that went into this creation and that we could live. Otherwise, we'd go crazy. But however, if everything was always the same, then every human being would have the same face. Every leaf would look the same. Every zebra would look the same. Every person would be the same. And we would say, like, this is just a factory. But no, to prove and to display that this creation is simply because Allah wants it that way. He's made everyone different. And he's created animals that you cannot even imagine. Little, uh, completely black monkey with bright white hair. Why? Just because he wants to. That's it. Uh, frogs, little tiny frogs, fluorescent green with red spots. Why? Don't tell me the evolutionary process that 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 there's no value in that being fluorescent, right? It's because Allah wants it that way. He, he wants us to see the beauty that is his creation. Why create so many different types of birds? Why create so many types of lizards? Why create so many types of ants? You can go and make a career studying ants. That's it. Your whole career is studying ants. You can go your whole career studying types of lizards. Komodo dragons is one of the most vicious creatures on earth. You would probably rather be in, in, in a, in a, uh, in a ring with maybe, uh, I don't know, 10 other types of predators rather than the Komodo dragon. Right. But why did I, and the scales, they have this fluorescent color to them where they're, 
almost reflecting the light as if it's like a work of art to show us he's doing this by his will okay it's his will to do this he's not creating because it's a factory that's churning out creations if that was the case then why are the things that are always the same for a reason to help us live but the things that are always different for our enjoyment the way flowers come out is always different the way zebras are striped everyone's different the cheetah spots, always different. Leopard, jaguar, all these spots are completely different. There no two will ever be the same. No two snowflakes will ever be the same. No two leaves. Like you got this plant here with tons of leaves. But it's as like a fact that you cannot get two leaves that are exact same size and dimensions. Every one of these leaves is going to be slightly different. Every single one. Why? It's to show you he's creating and it's in, and you say to yourself, well, what's the point though? A snowflake comes down from the sky and it comes down maybe in a minute. It's journey down from the cloud, maybe what, two, three, four, five minutes maximum. Then it's going to hit the ground and dissolve into the other, into the other snowflakes, or it's going to dissolve on the street. And you ask yourself, well, then how many millions and billions of snowflakes have existed? What was the point if no one's going to see it? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَكَفَى بِاللَّهِ shahida." It is enough that Allah is witnessing. We are not always the center of the universe. We are not. There are creations that are so tiny and so small, they live like a fraction of a second their entire lifespan. Allah is enough as the witness. So you have a creator. Now we have to ask ourselves, with our minds only, we'll only have a limited amount of, of knowledge about the creator we know he's very knowledge he has immense knowledge we know that he's one we know that there's order there cannot be all of this without a purpose for it what's the what's the what's the purpose of this creation we need prophethood we need a message from this creator otherwise the human being will destroy himself how will we destroy ourselves we, we just we would destroy ourselves by destroying each other if we did not have a sense of law and order for us human beings okay us human beings we have moral issues we have moral dilemmas when is abortion allowed when is it not it's a dilemma who's to say no human being has the right to answer that question so we actually agree with with the liberals on that right the christians will say the evangelicals said no god has revealed we agree with that we just don't agree on what version of revelation you're talking about and we have our own laws on abortion we have our own laws on what to do with criminals. Criminals have to be punished. All human beings agree on that, but we can never agree on how they should be punished, right? When can you kill somebody? Can I kill someone who's trying to kill me? Can I kill someone if I'm at war? Can I kill someone who killed another person? No human being truly has the right to answer that. We need revelation for that, okay? What should a human being eat? What should he not eat? What is cleanliness and what is not clean? Right? Like w these things. Yes, you say, oh, well, let's use our common sense. Okay, but your common sense differs from my common sense. And who's to say, why is your common sense? should Why should your common sense be applied to me? That's why whenever there's no religion, the state comes in and oppresses everybody and forces the views of a few elites on everybody else. Oh, these are the views. Now you have to all force because you can't convince me. But Islam comes and says, "This we we will we're telling you this is your creator is telling you, and the religion 
is spread through the people through the book and through the prayer. So the law is not something that comes from an elite group of people and is forced upon everybody else. In Islam, the law is in the Quran, the basis of the basics of the law. We all recite it. And so any common person picks up the Quran, he has an idea of marriage law, idea of what to do with inheritance, with my money after I die, an idea of what the crimes are. If I, if I kill someone, what's the punishment? Uh, what should I do about drugs and alcohol? Is there a limit? Can I have a little bit? Can I have just recreationally? Who's to say? So human beings cannot judge other human beings and pass judgments onto other human beings with their own brains. We need, and we're in absolute dire need for a message from external, external to us that has authority over us. No one has authority over us except the creator. So that prophet now, he has to come with proofs. That's another big question. So, okay, so we agree in theory that there has to be revelation, but where, what's this proof that Muhammad was a prophet, for example? The prophet Muhammad Sallallahu didn't come just from himself out of nowhere. The prophet, peace be upon him, came from a lineage where his grandfather and his great-grandfather, Ismail, and then his grandfather, Abdul Muttalib, were known to be people that were special with Allah. And they had their own miracles. Abdul Muttalib himself, I don't know if we would call them, we, not, we definitely do not call them mu'jizat because he was not a prophet, but they were miraculous events that happened. We can't deny that they were miraculous events that happened. The discovering of the well of Zemzem through a dream. You're like, okay, what's the big deal? It's just a spring of water. Yeah, but where? A spring of water in the middle of the desert based upon a dream. And then when they differed upon who's going to manage it, they all traveled out again to get an arbitrator. He discovered this well of water, spring of water. Well, who's going to manage it? Who has the honor of managing it? Who's going to be in control of it? They disagreed. So they said, let's go to an arbitrator. They went to an arbitrator. They got lost in the desert. And they all sat preparing to die. That's what you did in the old days. When you get lost in the desert, you just sit and wait to die. But he got up and he said, let's die trying to live. As soon as his camel got up, another spring came up. They said, that's the arbitration right there. From that time on, the elites of Quraysh, the tribe of the Prophet, came back silent, zipped. They would never disagree with Abdul Muttalib again. They saw with their own eyes, he saved their life. And God chose him with Miraculous event after miraculous event. Of course, the most miraculous event of all being that the Ethiopian, the East African king was going to destroy the Kaaba, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent tayran ababid, birds with pelts that pelted these enemies. Okay. And they all had to scatter and the house of God was preserved. So he, the grandfather had these miraculous events happen to them and that was spread before Islam and we have proof of that. We have proof that all of this incident and this knowledge was transmitted before the come the advent of the messenger, peace be upon him. So when the prophet came, Allah has given, he doesn't just shock you. Like it, the day doesn't just suddenly happen to be day. Like turning the lights on when you go to the bathroom and your eyes get bothered. Allah does not shock people in this matter. He gives you something slowly, gradually, very slowly so that you have no reason not to accept it. So, he gave the Arabs the miraculous events of Abdul Muttalib. And then when his grandson Muhammad وسلم, was born, he lived the life of a regular man. And he only had one quality. And he didn't have one, quality, one, one, one feature to himself. 
He had one quality that everyone knew that he was good for his word. And anything that came out of his mouth was true. He'd never lied. Because that's the main quality of a prophet. He's a transmitter. He can he has to have a reputation of honesty. Like a journalist. A journalist has to be honest. If a journalist is caught lying, you're going to basically you can't accept anything he says. So he has to have that reputation. What else did Allah make sure he has this reputation? He doesn't read. If he read, people would say he plagiarized the Quran. That he obviously read from somewhere else. It was known in his life he never read. And Allah made it that not he's not unable to read, but Allah created him. Allah created him and guided him in a way that he would never learn to read. He has he has the capacity to read. Because otherwise we would say such a person is not intelligent. No, he has the capacity to read, but Allah made him unlettered. So because this prophet didn't read, nobody could accuse him of plagiarizing. It cut. It, this is called hasm al-amr. It cuts the uh, the affair, the the issue at the head. How could you accuse him of plagiarizing? You know he doesn't read. All right, he's a great speech giver and he's a great speaker. No, the prophet never gave a speech, never uttered poetry before the age of forty. How do you suddenly then produce the Quran? So the Quran, the revelation of the Quran came down to the Prophet, peace be upon him. And the Quraysh were mesmerized by the words. How does someone go at 40 years old, having never ever sat in nor recited poetry before, nor given a speech, nor read a book, and suddenly produce a book that all of humanity follows? If you never wrote a movie, a movie script, you'd think at the age of 40, I give you a pen. Hey, have you ever thought of writing a movie script? No. Did you ever write one before? No. Did you sit on classes? No. Did you work in the field of movie writing scripts? No. All right, here's a pen and paper. Write me a movie script on one try. You don't get two tries. And tell it. And then you sit there and you write a script. And immediately Netflix picks it up. It's never going to happen. That's, that's not how life works. Right? Never touched a, a basketball in your life? All right, I want you to make the NBA. I've never touched a basketball in my life. Not only that, I want you to make it and be the best player in the NBA. Because the Quraysh themselves said, we've never heard words like the Quran before. They were so mesmerized by the speech. How when someone, he's never done this before. And that's all. No, they lived in a little town in Mecca. Little town in Mecca. If you change your jacket, everyone knows. Right? If you buy a new horse, everyone knows. If you buy a new goat, everyone knows. It's a small town. And the, 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 the talk is, is one of those small towns where everyone knows everything that's going on. Let's take a look at his book because his miracle is his book. This is a book that is the same book anywhere you go in the world. It's a book that's recited out loud. First of all, just that. Show me what other book is recited out loud, like as a routine thing. Not one or two people are reciting a book. Okay. Show me one book where it's recited, period. You can't find one. Show me a book that's memorized, that people memorize. I mean in mass, in society. I can go to South America today, and I could get you a kid who memorized the Quran. 1,400 years later, the furthest land. I wonder what is the furthest land from Mecca. Can somebody look that up? So if I, if I made a hole... And if I took a rod and stuck it from Mecca straight down, where would it come out? Somewhere in the, 
Where would it be? Someone looked that up for me. All right. If I stuck a rod right through Mecca, that would be the furthest land from Mecca. That means the Qibla for that land would probably be in any direction, right? Because you, you go east or west or north or south. You're exactly the same distance in all directions. It's probably middle of the ocean, right? What is it, Ryan? Um, <clears throat> New Zealand. Mexico is pretty far, too. It's, it's somewhere New Zealand or South America. It's probably uh, uh, New Zealand or South America. Yeah, Peru. I can go to New Zealand. I get you a Hafiz of Quran. Someone who's memorized this book 1,440 years later. Can I say that about any other religion? A thousand years after that religion started? Right? If I went there, uh, to, can I get the same Bible at all? The same words that Jesus spoke? The same prayer that he prayed? The book is recited. It's memorized. It's used as a healing. There we have, and I have a book of documentation where the Quran was used to heal certain mental illnesses. Just the Quran. It's used as healing. The Quran is used as a work of art. I go to look at pictures. I go to churches. I don't see the Bible written all over the, the church. You go to a mosque. That's what you see. It's our work of art is the book. The, the one simple thing that Allah Ta'ala forbade the drawing of animate objects and as a result it forced the Muslims to find another forced form of art well what did they find? the Quran it became their form of art so it's something that it's listened to it's used as a well more importantly than that it's a source of law our law comes from here okay our law comes from this book. Again, the challenge of the Quran is go find me a book that forget all these other things. Find me one book that has been the source of law for people all throughout the world. Even the Torah, right? Is it really for everyone? It's not for everyone. It's for a select tribe. This Quran is telling you it's for everybody. Show me a book that is a source of spirituality. On top of that, it's a source of what is our soul? Like, what is it? What nourishes it? What's going to have to happen after life? So show me a book that combines all these. That's the challenge of the Quran. Is that, well, when the Quran says, show me a book like it. This is the miracle of Muhammad is in the Quran. Okay? Show me that miracle. It has all these qualities. Can you get a book that has five of these qualities that we've listed? And the idea with the Bible, there's things in the Quran that are corrections to what's in the Bible. There are things in the Quran, the Bible uh, didn't have knowledge of certain things. Hieroglyphics has proven that it is. Like what? The existence of Haman, Xerxes. The Bible mentions there are two Xerxes. One that, uh, uh, Xerxes, sorry, that, uh, that mentions one Xerxes. And that he lived in Babylon. Had nothing to do with the Pharaoh. The Quran comes and says, Haman, same name. Haman was one of the aides of the Pharaoh. He was the, he was the aides of the Pharaoh. So all of the critics of the Quran said, Muhammad copied wrong from the Bible. Xerxes or Haman was from the Babylonian civilization, not the, not the Egyptian civilization. Well, fast forward. 
around the 1920s, when they really unlocked the code of hieroglyphics, they discovered this. And they saw Haman's name as that he was one of the main workers and ministers of the Pharaoh. So Allah has proved this. How about the proof of the Quran that Allah says, we will preserve the body of the Pharaoh. So if you felt if you if you threw a body in the salt water, that should dissolve in in in, in a short period of time. Right? I don't know how long. A year, a year it'll be gone, right? I'm assuming five years. How about five hundred years? How about a thousand years? And the Quran said, We will preserve the Pharaoh. And in the 20s, what did they discover? 20s, 30s, 40s, whatever it was. They discovered what their what the non-Muslims discovered. Not Muslims discovered it. See, the Muslims never even went down to look for it. Okay. They were never they never even looked for the Pharaoh. So they saw this promise in the Quran. They didn't have much doubt. So they didn't even they didn't question it. It was a Frenchman who discovered, and when he did studies, I don't know how he does their studies, but he came to the conclusion it's Ramses II. This is the biblical Pharaoh. It's Ramses II. That is the Pharaoh. And that was the time that he lived in. And he has all the markers or whatever that they would assess that he's the Pharaoh. They said it, not us. It's not Muslims who said that Ramses II, they didn't dis Muslims didn't discover him, and Muslims didn't claim it's Ramses II, which the claimant, the evidence produced by your 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 enemies or the people who don't believe in you is stronger than the evidence that you produce yourself. Right, so here we go. That the Quran has prophecy has been fulfilled. Right, we can go on and on and on, but the miracle of the Prophet is his book. After that, the miracle of the Prophet is his prophecies. Right, his prophecies themselves, what he prophesies, it's not just that he makes prophecies, that none of them are wrong because prophecies is a very dangerous path to go on. One wrong prophecy, and we throw it all out. And the Prophet ﷺ has dozens upon dozens upon dozens of prophecies. Not one. Show me one that has proven to be the opposite. We don't have one that's off. Who who's the, the 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 greatest rival in the world of prophecy right now, in the, in the Western Hemisphere? Wouldn't it be Nostradamus? Like everyone's heard of Nostradamus, right? If there's any rival who made prophecies who's worth his weight. And not a, a person who's a non-expert would have heard of him, right? So Nostradamus. Well, it is a sunnah of Allah Ta'ala that any false prophet comes in making prophecies, Allah must humiliate them. Nostradamus is humiliated. He's proven wrong on his very first prophecy in his book. He didn't even make it to chapter one. It's in the introduction where he said that humanity would basically become very sparse and there won't even be people to, to farm on the land because of disasters that will occur in 300 years. After 300 years, well, we had the exact opposite happen. What happened in 300 years? The Industrial Revolution. And they discovered how to farm in a much better way. They discovered so many better things on how to make our existence better. Population boomed. He set a date. I think it was like 17, I don't know what the date was. like, But it was around the time the Industrial Revolution happened. Revolutions in farming happened. The population of Europe skyrocketed through the roof. 
So Allah humiliated him on the first one to show these a false prophet. There were many other false prophets that come around. Very quickly, you'll see their prophecies are not. They didn't happen yet. They're completely false. And the prophet's prophecies, we see them in front of our own two eyes. When he said the barefoot and naked Bedouin would compete in the building high towers. Go into Wikipedia where the, the biggest, tallest buildings in the world. Where are they? They're all people who would buy in 1970. Not so long ago, 1970, they were barefooted Bedouins. They didn't have sense of government. They didn't have sense of civilization. They didn't have libraries. They didn't have anything. Barefooted, naked Bedouin, very simple people, okay, who have no sense of culture or civilization. They're just nomads, ro roaming around with the animals, and they die and born and die doing that. Yet they will be people who become so rich, they will compete in building tall towers. You go, and I think seven out of ten are in the Gulf. The top ten greatest, tallest buildings in the world, last I checked a couple of years ago, seven out of ten were there. And then one's in Singapore, then there's some other buildings. 75% of the cranes that build towers, because you, you can't build towers without cranes, right? 75% of the cranes in the world are bought and sold, and they are present in the Gulf. Prophecies, one after the other, we see them happening in our own lifetime. So much so, he says, metal one day will speak to you about what's happening in your house. Which we take today as all the artificial intelligence. Every device that we have is just a hunk of plastic and metal. And the prophet said, metal will speak to you about what happens in your house. Your, your sandal strap or your, uh, your whip in your hand will tell you what's happening in your house, meaning mundane objects will also give us mundane information, right? Mundane objects will tell us everyday information that we need. So that's what shows us that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, in a nutshell, as, as quick as we could possibly say this, we got an hour now, is a prophet. He's a truthful messenger. On top of that, just look practically. Is there any man that people live their life based upon his teachings? Every part of our lives. How you cohabit with your wife. We have guidance on this. The prophet said, don't just go do it. You should have some foreplay first. And don't do it during menstruation. We have guidance on even that. We have guidance on what is the nature of the soul. We that so, The soul is fed, is nourished by exposure to revelation and the remembrance of God. So many mental illnesses, emotional illnesses are solved by just by that. So from our soul to how we go to the bathroom and wash ourselves, we have basic guidelines on how to do all these things. All from this man and his and the book that he was he received from his creator. Is there anything else out there that competes? So with that, we'll close it up. And I hope that that's the answer. That was a question from a sister uh, from New Jersey who asked it from a sister from the Netherlands. So I hope that that answers the question. And if the sister from the Netherlands, I don't know what time it is in the Netherlands. I guess it's like 7 o'clock in the Netherlands right now. Uh, she can ask any question that she would like to right now. Uh, the question came to me from you from WhatsApp. I'm not using WhatsApp. Obviously, the phone is being used, so I can't check the WhatsApp. So if there are any questions... Bring them now. Um, Maham is asking a technical question on myarcviews or myarcview.org, our um, our uh, class schedule. Inshallah, our classes will start again 
May 20, the week of May 22nd, our classes will start again and everything will be on the website shortly, inshallah, in terms of this class schedule. Not all the classes will start up, uh, not all the online classes will start up. Only select few online classes will start up uh, in, the, in the May session. And it's like the second spring session, spring addendum session. And then we will have um, a summer session, which will be bigger. And then the fall is the biggest. All right. Let us now um, look at the comments and questions. Ryan, what do you got? Othman with the Wizard of Oz is outside without the key. He's stuck in the rain. Huh? Yeah, I don't I think we may have locked the kitchen door too. So the Wizard of Oz is locked out in rainy New Jersey today. It's raining. Imran Nasim says, after concluding and providing and proving of a transcendent creator, how does one convince others that this creator is Allah versus other deities? Very simple. You confirm the prophet, peace be upon him. You go from the creator to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam through the Quran. And then the Quran tells you it's, his name is Allah. We won't know his name except through... Um, through transmission right so we, we have to transmit and show that muhammad is a true prophet and the quran is the word of god therefore the god's name and everything about this uh the dean is confirmed through that so i hope that answers imran's question caitlin johan says when we randomly come across things excerpts of writing that pertain exactly to our situation is that allah sending us a sign it is 100% Allah sending us a sign. And the cleaner the heart from sins, the more it will be able to receive that as a bushra from Allah. The more clean our heart is, the more we can take it on. And we will accept it as a sign from Allah. And you will be in a constant state of communication with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It will never end. Hbaz 3 and Isra, Jazakumullah khairan for your, your, your prayers and your duas. All right, Jazak Mahamasoud for the live timings. Oh, UK live timing is tough because our pre-recorded classes, uh, probably only Hela's class, you'll be able to have uh, to attend because my classes they tend to be at night. Yeah, and we have to maybe we should find a time that's suitable for the UK audience. Yeah. All right, let's stick to topic to questions on this topic, inshallah ta'ala. Um, on the nature of why Islam is true. I was watching an Islamic video, says Sophia, on the punishment of the grave. When the two angels sit you up and they ask you three questions. If you ask answer correctly, your grave is widened and it becomes a glimpse, a piece of paradise. And if it's not, they close it in on you. And you know who else they close it in on? A Muslim who says, yes, I heard people saying God, people saying Allah, people saying Muhammad, but I never investigated. They say, Allah gave you a brain, right? And you never used it. They close the grave in on him. So don't be one of these people who are closer to hypocrites. You are hearing all the time that there is an eternal life afterwards. You don't investigate. If I told you that there was a fire in this room, okay, and you didn't get up, you're guilty. You killed yourself. So what about someone telling you that there's a fire prepared just for you for eternity? You have to you have to think about this if you have any sense. The only reason that someone wouldn't examine this, especially a Muslim, is that he doesn't really believe it's true. So he is a Muslim, but he's a hypocrite. 
meaning truly his, his true reality is his disbelief. Amani says, when atheists speak about the Big Bang, we say that there has to be a creator for it. Of course. How could energy just come from nothing? Do you know how much energy was in the initial creation? Even from the physicist standpoint of the Big Bang. Oz, why don't you come to the next to the mic and you can contribute. Go ahead. So it, that actually defies all the laws of physics that, that came later, right? That nothing comes, a, a great event of a great amount of energy cannot come from nothing. My question is some, from Sophia, how do you experience this if your soul is in the barzakh? You experience it, you experience it in a way that we really can't explain because we are cre cre uh, a, cre uh, uh, a creation that exists in this matter. All we know is existence of this matter. When you die, you are still existing, but in a such a fine material, it, the, there, it is a material, but it's so subtle. The soul is so subtle that its experience of time and space is different from our experience. Like I can't, for example, get to the other end of the room without getting up, expending energy and walking, right? The soul is completely different. My brain can only account, get so much information because my right now I'm limited to this brain. The soul is completely different. It can take on so much more. The soul is like a trapped being inside of this body. All we understand is this body. Once that soul comes out, all what we can conclude, we can say with Jesm, is that it's going to be very different, right? And But the nature of the soul is described as having this form. Your soul has this form, but it's a different material altogether. Can I read about the Barzakh? Why don't you read it? He Go gave ahead, me this book. Yeah, read it. Uh, Imam Al-Hadad, rahimahullah, he says, translated, the intermediate realm, talk about the Barzakh, mm -hmm. is the abode which lies between the world and the life to come. It has more affinity with the latter, though, mm -hmm. and is in fact a part of it. It is a place where spirits and spiritual things are predominant while physical bodies are secondary, but share with the spirits in their experiences, whether felicity and joy or torment and grief. Mm -hmm. That's the nature of the barzakh. The barzakh is between our physical life in this world and our physical resurrection in the next world. We're spirits without bodies. Remember, we human beings are not meant to be spirits without bodies. We're meant to be bodies. So therefore, it's a temporary period of time. And we don't exactly, cannot describe what that experience will be like. All right. If someone were to pray from inside the Kaaba, which would you face? Any direction. All right. Remember, we're on uh, questions that relate to why Islam was to today's topic. Yeah, this one's yes. I think this is a question someone, you know, looking to accept Islam might, might ask when they start reading the Quran. Um, I don't know exactly what ayat he's talking about, though, but he says there's some ayat in Surah An'am that seem like they're harsh towards the Prophet wasallam, And there's a verse that seems to sarcastically ask the Prophet wasallam, to tunnel or climb a ladder to the heavens. No, it's the, the Kafirs are saying that to the Prophet. The enemies of the Prophet were saying, uh, they were saying that, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, what do you want? Do you want him to go climb in the heavens, right? All right, so the 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 Quran, one of the proofs that it is the word of God and not the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu is that it has in it what would seem to be corrections of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Such as a verse, if you do not transmit what we tell you, then we will take you by the hand and cut your throat. Who would say that about himself? So do we say that, is that how God treats his Prophet? No. 
the Muhammad وسلم, is the most beloved of Allah's creation. But verses like that exist just to show you that he's not the author of the book. Furthermore, the prophet, the Virgin Mary, she's like the one of the, she's the only woman mentioned by name in the Quran. Why would you mention her, not your mom, not your wife, not your daughter? How could you do that, right? Like what man would ever write a book? And we're all humans. All humans are pretty much the same. And human relationships are pretty much the same. What human being would author a book and have in it the name of another woman and she has her own chapter and her name is mentioned all over the Quran and not once mentioned his own mom or his own wife, his own daughter? None of them. What person has a rival clan, his rival, who is his enemies in Medina? The Jews, right? They're the ones undermining him. Why would you mention Moses way more times than you mention your own self, right? So Moses is mentioned and praised all over the Quran. The name Muhammad itself is mentioned four times in the Quran. Yes, Allah speaks to the Prophet many times in the Quran, but four times. What author would do this? Ryan, did you finish everything you wanted to read about the Barzakh? Yeah, I think so. I just went into that about the experience of the Prophets, how it's different in the Barzakh. Okay, good. But I was looking for in the forward of this book if yeah. they mentioned their children and stuff. Like like you were saying, like yeah. anybody who writes a book would put like, please make dua for my family. Exactly. Everyone who writes a book, number one, you 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 would really put yourself somewhere very clearly, right? Not your rival, your enemy's prophet. Of course, Moses is our prophet first. But here we have a question about pain and predestination. So glitters says, what can we say to a sister? She's losing her breast to a mastectomy as part of her treatment. Islamically, what can we say to help her stay positive? This is one of those things that I can think anybody, any human on the earth can really help out with. You shut your eyes and ask Allah to bring you something. You need a little personal miracle for yourself, right? You literally shut your eyes and ask Allah for help. And and no human being, I don't think, can can come and soothe a calamity that big, right? Caitlin says, well, what, what, what about people who say Islam perpetual victim mindset because we believe our life and our risk is already predetermined? Well, the Prophet came with that and he said, you can change your risk with dua. Dua can alter and, and, and risk can be altered by istighfar, can increase your wealth. Dua can alter your destiny. Goodness to your family and to your parents will increase your risk. So we actually don't have this concept. Now, the way that we have it is that we believe in predestination, of course, but we also say that it's really made for after an event happens. So after something happens, don't go back and say, oh, I wish I had done this, wish I had done that, unless like you're learning for the, from the future, for the future. But in a state of regret, don't go back and say that. Just say, it's maktub. Maktub means it was written, right? Why? This is a way that Allah Ta'ala heals minds because when something terrible happens, some people could spend decades mulling over it, killing themselves literally over regret. Allah says, stop. It was written to happen. There's nothing you could have done to change it, right? So we use predestination, the concept of predestination as a soothing matter 
to our to, to to bad things when bad things happen after the fact. But going forward, you don't know what's written for you. So your dua can improve your destiny. Your istighfar can improve your destiny. Your hard work can improve your, your future. Your goodness to parents can improve your future. So we use predestiny for the past, not the future. Also, even if it's written for us, we have to go out and we have to still, you know, acquire yeah. risk itself. You have to acquire yeah. it. You and just don't know what's written. So why don't you start selling yourself, well, a million dollars is written for me. Yeah. Right? That's true. And for the people who, you know, like they think that's too much, is, you know, like that they think that they have too much power. Yeah. You know, Islam humbles them and Allah tells them that, you know, there's things that are written for you that yeah. this is the Khadr. And for the people who have, you know, they think that everything is pre-written for them and, you know, they're just puppets on a string. Mm -hmm. It's the opposite for them. Then, you know, we're encouraged to go out and actually do the actions. Yeah. Say, take action. Do work. All right. Uh, the book Lives of Man, Ryan was just reading from. You can get it from MeccaBooks.com. It's a very uh, simple read, but it explains so much about it. Uh, American Muslim Org says, we'll see the prophet in the grave or just see an image of him when asked about him. When people know, you will just be asked about him. But the life of the grave, the barzakh, you're not in a little territory. You could, there's, it could be vast. Like you could be moving in a, in a, in a universe that we don't understand. Because it's 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 all spirit and no physical form. Amani says, "Can you talk about women captives of war in Islam? When doing da'wah, people usually bring this up. How do we address it? In the old days, what did what existed? Was there like a state that existed that gave social welfare and all that stuff? You had little city states. When you had a war with people, those people are trying to kill you, right? You were allowed to take them as captives. They were trying to kill you. You have." Three options to do with them. You can kill them. They were trying to kill you, right? So you can kill them. You can take them and use them as la for labor. And three, you can sell them back to their people for ransom. You can ransom them. So when you, and, and if you conquered a city, what do you do with those people? You're only allowed to take the people who were actively fighting you and everyone that came to support them, right? Everyone that came to support them too. So what Islam came in that world, there were no laws, set, there were no rules for this. When you come into a world, you don't just cancel everything, right? You know, that it's, it's amazing. People say, why, why didn't Islam just come in and abolish slavery? All right, we're talking, let's talk about riba today. If I tell you there's going to be an Islamic state and the Khalifa is going to come and cancel riba right away, right? Practically speaking, we know that that's like, it's an impossibility, Right? Things have to be done gradually. It's like it's, you just don't cancel something that's an institution like that. It would have to happen that some people believe in it's wrong. A little bit more people believe it's wrong. A little bit more people. Alternatives exist, right? Then it coexists. Like, like we don't want it to coexist, but it, that's the nature of how things happen. And alternatives will exist. Then eventually, finally, we remove it altogether. Like an alcoholic. The Quran came and gradually removed it. So when the Quran came, at in a in a world where people would 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 take their captives and there were no rules on what you do with these captives, the Quran came and gave it rules, right? And and gave it and civilized it to the degree that it could be civilized, with the hope that it would be abolished altogether. Slavery in general, as a rule for Islam, its abolishment and 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 emancipation of slaves is the goal, right? 
So I asked my teacher then, like, what happens if we go into the old world happens again, right? The rules of the old world happen again. What would happen in terms of slavery? He said, if they bring it back, if our enemies bring it back and force it upon the world again, then we would use our rules for that. But we wouldn't initiate it. We wouldn't initiate a return to slavery just because we have laws on how do we civilize slavery. And civilized it in a sense that it would never be civilized in, the, in a good sense like, oh, this is a wonderful civilized reality, right? It's not. That's why all over the Quran, it's emancipate. You, you, you did this, emancipate. You did this, emancipate. So emancipation was the main goal. And by the way, the Muslims abolished slavery way before the Western countries did. The Ottoman Empire abolished it centuries before it was abolished in Islam. Can a person see Allah when he's in his grave? No. The verses that came down to prove Sayyidah Isha. Yes. Okay. And the Imamah is mentioning a point here that we said that in the history of the Prophet, there were three times where the revelation was delayed and the Prophet was put in an extremely tight and difficult and even like an emotional torture type of situation. Not emotional torture, we just say emotional pain type of situation. And the first lead, the revelation started coming down. People in his local family, they they realized he's a prophet. They sp spoke about him. Or, or, sorry, I should say, they began hearing that he's claiming to be a prophet. And then all of a sudden the revelation stopped. What did they do? They made fun of him. Happened again. The Jews challenged the prophet, peace be upon him. He said, I'll bring you the answer tomorrow. He didn't, didn't get an answer for two weeks. They made fun of him. For two weeks, they made fun of him. In Medina, for one month, his wife Aisha was accused of not being loyal to the prophet, peace be upon him, and going with another man. One month, this rumor spread around. And then revelation came saying she's innocent. If the prophet is the author of the revelation, why would he have done this? Why put yourself through this torture? Three times? You put yourself through this. And not only that, you put your wife through this too. Right? That would, wouldn't that be sinful? What kind of husband would do that for his wife? So clearly, Allah has done this to show this is not his book. Right? Not that he does not love his messenger. This is, in fact, the height of his love for his prophet is to show the world this is not his word. This is the word of God, and everything you see from him is prophethood. Ryan, what you got? And uh, so this is a question that I think Abdul Hay also was asking in the WhatsApp. Mm -hmm. Why is it that some individuals say that Islam is backwards or the Sunnah? That they say they have such terrible things to say about Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa Why do people have such terrible things to say about the Prophet, peace be upon him? Because his religion works. It's changing people. It has an impact. They need to tear it down. As famous New Yorker once said, what's his name? Mr. October. Who's Mr. October again? I can't remember who his name is. Old Yankee player. This guy hit three like home runs all throughout the playoffs, and they won this World Series for the Yankees. No, no, way before. Way before. Reggie Jackson. Then he started not playing, getting older and not playing as well. And they were booing him. 
So they said, well, Reggie, I mean, you're like a beloved Yankee, but now you're getting booed. He said, yeah, well, they don't boo nobody. <laughs> really? Yeah, he got it from Reggie Jackson. They don't boo nobody. They don't boo someone who's useless. They, the fact that Muhammad is the number one most attacked human being in all-time history. It's true. All-time. the most famous too, then. Yeah, means that means he's also the most praised in all-time history. That means he's the most effective in all-time history, right? Of all time, no one is more praised, and we could see the literature. Just count the books, count the poems, count the publications, right, of praise. The out loud praise in the mosques, in gatherings of the Prophet Muhammad happens in every continent of the world every single day, in every country in the world every single day. And I would virtue to say probably in over 80% of the cities of the world, Every single day, Muhammad is praised out loud by people. He's also the most maligned and attacked person. That means he's the most effective of all. That's why they're trying to take him down. Go ahead, Ryan. Oh, I was just playing with this. but okay. I think, I guess, um, Also, it's like about the definition of what is backwards and what's not backwards. Oh, well. ba so many people, they have like a colonized mindset. Yeah of what is considered to be backwards. Oh, totally. But are you know, like you look at Western civilization, yeah, you know, we live in, you know, like nice houses with drywall and you yeah. know, like with insulation, paper houses, and you know, there's we're not like in connected to nature. Yeah. But are those type of people, you know, is the West closer to answering any of the moral problems that we have? Yeah. I mean, if you look at all the atrocities, all of them, or if not or most of them, if not all of them, were motivated by a Western mindset. Yeah. communism by capitalism mm -hmm. like you look at you know for example the person who's really responsible for agriculture um you know what they did is that, like the they make like nitrogen the person who made the bessemer process i think that's what it's called um the process that basically enriches um like livestock's feed and it allowed us single-handedly to like support this big of a population that mm -hmm. we have now that's the same guy who invented chemical warfare Wow. And he invented mustard gas. Wow. And he was a Nazi and responsible for gassing millions of people. Subhanallah. So there's, you know, like it goes both ways. That's crazy. We're more, you know, we're more progressive, quote unquote progressive. Technically. Technically progressive. Yeah, on this stuff. Yeah. On, on the technology. Yeah. But are we any morally more progressive? Like what? even just like a simple example, like like we drive around in computer cars, like these Teslas. Yeah. You know, you could take a nap while you're driving to work and all this stuff. But we think like most people think that cleaning themselves with paper is more effective than water. <laughs> it's like they think the paper is going to clean them. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we drive around in Teslas and I had a, a teacher who was a surgeon. He said, people come out in the, in the nicest suits. We have to cut them up for surgery. We have to see their uh, bodies. He said, yeah, they're filthy. They're the same person. Right. And here's a question. Go to the aboriginals of, of Brazil. And go to the people here walking on Teslas and iPhones and, and lattes and ask them, are, are, uh, what should we do if someone kills? What do we do with the person who kills? What do we do with abortion? And go ask the Aboriginal the same question. Are you any better? Right? Outside of Revelation, do you have any better answer than the most Aboriginal basic people of Australia or South America? Next question. Okay. How do you respond to somebody who is um, in fear of discussing religion because they're scared to offend somebody about like talking about how other religions have been changed or that they're wrong or something. 
I mean, don't offend the person. Don't don't you don't have to talk to someone who's going to be offended if you think that there's going to be more harm than good. I'm just talking in general here, but let's say a person um, does has a friend, he doesn't want to offend them. Then at the same time, you're also not doing the dawah. You have to ask yourself, what is your degree of responsibility? Right? Does this person already know about Islam? Leave him. Are you teaching him for the first time? Then you may have to say that, but say it in a way that you know, no offense, but your book has no authenticity, no historicity. Okay, I don't mean to offend you or anything, but your Torah or your Bible, no one knows where it came from. Who knows who wrote stuff in it? Who added to it and subtracted from it? Can you answer me? Why don't you put it as a question? Hey, can you tell me? What proof do you have that this is actually the word that came out of Moses' mouth or Jesus' mouth? Because I'm not interested otherwise, right? The only one who has authority over other people is the prophet by virtue of being given revelation to the, from the creator. That's the only one. And then after that, authority comes from who studies that word more than others. That's it. Yes. So what response would you give to somebody who is doubtful about Islam because they've only been surrounded by Muslims who have bad character. Uh, they've only been surrounded by Muslims who have bad character. That's a major fitna. There's no doubt about it. And that will cause a person um, really to probably have a uh, bad impression of Islam. There's no doubt about that. But what a person needs to do at that point is travel around. There's a lot of masajid. There are a lot of countries. There are a lot of Muslims. And um, if you're sincere, You'll travel around and find another group of, of Muslims who, are, who could be friendly to you. On Qadr, even your dua is predetermined. Yes, it is predetermined. But you can only say that after you've done it, right? What's your motivation to do it, though? We need a motivation to do it. And that motivation is that Allah of the Prophet says, nothing alters your destiny except dua. Right? So, yes, your dua is predetermined. But what does that have to do with anything, right? You still have to do it. And it will protect you from tribulations that will come in the future. I have a question about yes. Qadr. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we we know that we're supposed to believe that uh, we believe in all of the Qadr, what yeah. is like sweet of it and what is bitter of it. But don't we also know that, you know, Allah wants what's best for his servants as well? So how do we know that there's anything bitter to begin with? So that's a great point in that, you got to look at things from, from the source. If I look at something that, let's say, what is even good and bad? What are bad things? Is it a painful thing? That's that's the first mistake. A painful thing is not necessarily a bad thing. We purposely put our kids through pain all the time. We take them to dentists where it hurts. We take them to doctors where it gets shots and it hurts. We put them through school and it hurts. We scold them and it hurts. We make them sleep on time and it hurts for them, right? Stop playing and do homework. That hurts. Everything. It's The parent is a constant non-stop source of pain, right? For a kid. It's true. The better parent, the more that you can be described as that. But you and eventually your kid will all realize the value of this, right? Even a good kid, a smart kid can recognize the value of it early on while they're still a kid. How? By looking at other kids. And look at this kid. He went out with his clothes not ironed like that, right? Or look at this person. He talks back to his mom like that. Or 
yells like that in the supermarket because he didn't get a, a candy that he wants. They see it themselves while they're still kids. They see the value of it. Then they realize, okay, there's a lot of things I don't, I'm not going to like, but I, I, I know the, pretty much the direction of where we're going as a family here is good. We all do that. So when it comes to the creator, if something is from the creator, it's completely out of your control. That creator is no, his attributes are al-hakim, the wise. That means there is goodness at the end of this, that you will yourself will testify to that goodness. Therefore, we should actually look at things through the opposite lens. If it's from God, and I know it's from God, there's no way I could stop it. There's nothing telling. Sometimes something comes and the Sharia tells you to stop it. The sacred law tells you go change it. So if something comes from Allah as a test to me, I know what there's goodness going to be in. So we actually do things the opposite way. We don't judge things as good as or bad based on how we feel. We judge them as good or bad based on if it's from the creator or not. Likewise, the obligations and prohibitions of the religion, that's his other will. There are two wills from the creator. His will in the universe, in the world, and his will for our action. Any prohibition, is there's more harm in it than good. There could be some good in it, but there's more harm than good. Any obligation, there's more good than harm. And anything that happens out of our control completely, there, the way I react to it is going to be what determines the amount of goodness I get from it. If I react to it by submitting and realize this is from Allah, I'm going to deal with this. Okay, And I'm going to see goodness at the end of this tunnel. You will. So what is even good and bad? Saiku95 says, Who is this brother, mashallah, always dropping knowledge bombs? Ryan. That Oz says it's Ryan, and Ryan says it's Oz. <laughs> I always think of that dude when people say things like follow science. How do you, Science is not something to be believed in. Science is a source of knowledge, right? Observation, essentially, is a source of knowledge. There's nothing to believe in. It's like... Uh, um, What's your philosophy on building buildings? My philosophy is the philosophy of tools, right? <laughs> <laughs> tools just a, a, a means to attain to that. Ryan, what do you got? Um, I've seen charity ads where Shiuch say that Allah will show us pictures of the atrocities some people faced on the Day of Judgment and ask us what we did to help them. Is that true? Not really. I don't think so. I mean, uh, you, we are responsible for the direct have the sharia the sacred law this helps us this is another moral question right the sacred law tells us that there are some people on this earth we are directly responsible for their well-being husband is directly responsible for his wife for his kids if his dad dies then his mom if his dad gets old then his dad if his sister doesn't have anyone then his her sister directly responsible and then the Prophet, peace be upon him, told us that we should care for the affairs of the Muslims. And generally, we should have some general care in whatever way that we can, right? Then the leaders of the Muslims, though, the, the governor of, for example, the ruler of, let's say, um, Saudi Arabia. Right underneath him, who's suffering? Yemen. He is responsible. That king is responsible to go and help his Muslim brothers in Yemen. He's responsible in the sight of Allah. So he has to mobilize his kingdom to feed those people. Okay? Let's say, for example, there was a, an unjust war being fought 
in Kuwait. You're responsible to stop that to pr to protect those people if they can't protect themselves. So we has we have we have jobs as individuals. Rulers have jobs in the geopolitical sphere. Civ civilians can't do much. They can do a little little aid work, put band aids on basically stab wounds. That's what we're doing here. There's got someone who's just obliterated to bits, and we're coming with a first aid kit. So that's what we could do. But as a responsibility, it's on the nation, the, the leaders. There's like the maxim ought implies can, meaning like yes. if you have a moral obligation to do something, it implies that you have the ability to yes. do it. Say like if I'm 100 miles away and someone's drowning, it's not my fault because I don't have the ability to change that situation. But if Allah has given me the ability, like, yeah. you know, if I've given kingship, yeah. then I have a responsibility because I have the ability. Exactly. So we could, we could summarize that and say morality is linked to ability that's why it's you know that's that's the link if i'm not able then i'm not obligated yes right so someone might ask like what's the deal with human suffering then and babies who die yeah animals you know all these things all of human suffering the majority of it is actually a result of of, of human behavior so there was an amazing study that was done and it was all inspired by a photographer. He was in South America. And he was out there and he was looking and he found that these people's teeth are like perfect. Like he just made this observation from the pictures. He's looking at the photos he took. These people's teeth are excellent. And then he started purposely going around looking at teeth and then testing eyesight. And he found their eyes are great and their teeth are great. It's because there's nothing artificial in their environment. So... Then he started going studies and found pretty much in the past, people's teeth and their eyes were good, right? It's only when sugar started to get uh, uh, introduced to societies and they're drinking it in their tea and everything and they don't have dental care at the same time. So you go to a place like Mauritania when they have like five spoons of sugar in a cup of tea. All their teeth are terrible. No offense. Wait, they do this in Mauritania? In Mauritania, they have so much sugar in their tea. <laughs> you go and you see everyone's teeth are bad and you think of subhanallah in the old days everyone's teeth were terrible no it's not people's teeth were good overall so also birth defects were very minimal in the animal kingdom out in nature only when the animal comes and mingles with humans then you see animals with birth defects same with humans it's because what we do so we why are we so quick to blame this on god right as if no we don't think that we, our own action, have any part in this. When someone does something great, we celebrate the person. We don't say, this. no, God did it. No celebration for you. God did it. No, we celebrate the person, right? But when something bad happens, we want to quickly put it on the creator. It doesn't work like that. So someone's asking for a further elaboration on the difference and the coexistence of predetermination and free will. Yep. So what, should you repeat that, please? Can you Can you explain that more in depth? The relationship between predetermination from Allah and our free will. Predetermination and free will in a very simple nutshell. The predetermination, according to one opinion, is that you have certain options that you could do. Right now I could put my hand up or down, right or left. Right? All of my choice is something within the box that Allah has predetermined for me. So anything I do is within the predetermined. It's as if to say, there's a box here, right? Your choice is the actions that you take, but the whole box is your predetermination. 
So it's the year 2022 right now, and it's the month of April. It's the 7th of April. We literally cannot take any action outside of April 7th, 2022, right? We're stuck in April 20. Not only that, we're stuck in the hour, in the third hour of the afternoon. There's no way I can take an action right now on April 8th. So in that respect, that's how, those are the boundaries of our predetermination. Anything that I choose, all of my choices, I'm choosing from something predetermined for me. And so that's why the Prophet has a hadith says, every one of you has a spot in heaven ready for him and a spot in hell ready for him. That means from the moment you lived, if you had done, made all the wrong decisions until you die, that would be your spot in hell. And then there's a gradation, right? A gradation all the way to if you had lived and done all the right decisions at every moment, then there is the highest point in heaven for you. So all these things are predetermined for us in the sense that all of these choices are predetermined and then you choose from within. And that's a quick summary for it. I saw, like, not to encourage watching movies, yeah. but um, there's a movie, it's called, um, I think, like, No Country for Old Men. You heard that movie? Um, it has, like, a, it's an interesting movie. I've only watched clips of it. But the character, like, the main villain, he's the antagonist, and what he does is he's, like, a serial killer going around roaming the countryside. Mm -hmm. And what he does is that he makes people basically flip a coin and if it's heads, they die, and it's if it's tails, they lose. Okay. Um, they they get to keep their life, yeah. along those lines. Now, you know, like obviously from our perspective, we know how. Like, and he says that, oh, you made me do it. You know, that's yeah. the thing that it was predetermined for you. But obviously, we can see, you know, how like how how much of a fallacy that is, uh, because the thing is, is that we still have the choice. We can't just you know put our hands up and say that something else is compelling me. I think really at the end of the day, it's. It doesn't make a difference to us whether or not we have free will or not, you know, like because we know we feel as if we have it, right? It's 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 uh, practically an irrelevant question in the sense that you you have enough free will to make you innocent or guilty, right? That's all you need to know. You have enough free will to be judged by God on the day of judgment, and when things ha and and practically the way we use predetermination is afterwards, when a terrible event happens, that we say maktub. Brian? Perez said the young wise brother brings up one of the most brutal movies. <laughs> I didn't watch the whole thing. I yeah. just watched, I saw like a really intriguing clip, you know, the yeah. YouTube suggestions. Yeah. But it was interesting. Caitlin says, when Allah says take Asbab, is Dua one of them? Yes, 100%. Dua is not only one of them, it's one of the best. All right, we have a new can of worms to open up here. Yeah. Sunshine says, how do you respond to people who don't want to follow the rules of the religion as long as they're doing good and not hurting other people? They want to, they want to follow the rules of the religion. They don't want to. They don't want to. They just do good. They just do good. What is the definition of goodness? That's the question we ask them. They say, oh, well, common sense. Well, your common sense differs from my common sense. You don't think the, that the Nazis thought that they were doing something good? You think they say, oh, let's do evil today. They thought they were doing something good, right? Um, Trump supporters think they're doing something good. Transgender activists think they're doing something good. Everyone thinks they're doing something good. What is your who who defines goodness? Yes, there are certain things we all can agree are is, is good and bad. We can all agree that if you have a beautiful little kitten to throw her in a vat of hot oil, you are a very evil person. We can all agree on that, right? But if I see a cat walking across the street, am I responsible to get it a bowl of milk? Like at what point, right? Uh, 
we talked about the big issues that we talk about. When is abortion allowed? When is it not allowed? How what how do I get in, what is what is our position on on different political issues? We need these are big moral questions that we need to to know. What is the degree to which I have to make people happy? Right? Do I have to make my mom happy just because I happened to come out of her stomach? I have to make her happy? Why? To what degree do I have to make her happy? Like if she says, I want you to divorce your wife, do I have to do that? If she says, I want you to come and vote for uh, Biden, do I have to do that? If she says, I want you, need you to leave your job and help me move, do I have to do that? Like to what degree do I have to make? If she makes a joke that I don't like, do I have to laugh at it? Like there are so many questions that that the human mind will only produce a subjective answer to right completely subjective there's no goodness defined outside uh from the creator or outside of the creator as a source except very few things and these very few things that will never happen also from like another perspective like yeah. the pascal's wager or like uh, ali radiallahu anh, but he said yeah it was saying ali who said that actually yeah say Ali and pascal's wager the idea of pascal's wager say Ali said that if i live my life in obedience to Islam, number one, you live a good life. Most people have no friends. But most, every practicing Muslim has tons of friends. So many friends that you, you have to struggle to find private time. If you're practicing mosque-going Muslim, because you're going to go to a people, number one, they're not going to judge you for the way you look. If they're truly practicing knowledgeable Muslim, they will not judge your looks. They will not judge if you're rich or poor. They will not judge if you do these things. You'll be part of the circles, right? They won't backbite you. You're going to have friends. There's stuff to do, too. Like Ramadan, we're busy. Uh, Kujtem here, he's from Albania. No, where is he from? Uh, Kosovo. He's asking us, when are you going to be at IHOP? Right? Like Ramadan, there's so many stuff to do, right? We're, we go to IHOP, sometimes we go in the last 10 nights, if there's, or in the in the weekends, I mean, more, more of the weekends, Friday and Saturday night, when we have dhikr after tarawih. And then there's like an hour before Fajr. Why sleep, right? We used to go to IHOP. So... We have IHOP right across the street from the masjid. We might go again. Empty calories. Fill them all up. I've been hungry all month, right? So, so much. You live better. And on top of that, if you die, what happens to you? If the atheist is right, then what did I lose? But if the Muslim is right, then the atheist is in big trouble. And I have everything to gain. So nothing to lose, except for a few sacrifices that when you sacrifice for the sake of Allah, you find sweetness in it. If I sacrifice committing zina for the sake of Allah, I find a sweetness when I get home and I find myself, alhamdulillah, in a, in a, time, a tranquility descends upon you. If you sacrifice stealing, if you sacrifice pompous behavior for the sake of Allah, you come back home and you feel a tranquility that descends upon you. Right? So you're losing nothing. It's a mirage of loss. That's all it is. And you have an infinity to gain. The atheists, what are you gaining? All you atheists are in jail for all these big atheist philosophers. There's a book called Philosophers Behaving Badly. The top seven Amer uh, Western influence philosophers, all of them on some kind of sexual charge. All of them. They're all per perverts, right? So that's your prophet? That's who you want to follow? Okay, go follow him and become a pervert like him. Because even... This 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 guy from Arizona who is vicious, Kraus. He's out. He's canceled. 
Groping girls. I mean, it's not even smart. You can go buy that stuff, right? You can pay someone and they'll let so you do it. I don't get it, right? <laughs> Why are you groping your students? Even as a Catholic, you're stupid, right? Yeah, and from, from the perspective of kufr, from the perspective of just pleasure-seeking, is that the way to do it? You can go to the state next door to you. It's legal. Nevada, right? Prostitution's legal. Yeah, and subhanAllah, Allah blinds these people so he humiliates them on this earth so we can all use them as an example. That's why. Where well, we got to wrap up. One question. Yes. I think this is the last one that really should be answered. Yeah. How do we cope with a loving God putting people in hellfire? The loving God putting people in hellfire, they wanted to go there. Nobody gets anything from Allah except they wanted it. We gave you a warning. You made fun of it. You wanted to go there. He gave you what you wanted. So was it, oh, why did he even create the hellfire? Some people deserve it. They literally ask for it. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, like the staunch atheist or the staunch yeah. secularist, they're literally like, tell your God to punish me. Okay. And <laughs> you know, they'll even say, tell him to punish me, like smite me right now. Yeah. You go on YouTube and you look at these wow. atheists, you can find like, you know, all of these guys, they say stuff like this. Yeah, they say. Yeah. Don't be surprised when it happens. I know. <laughs> Just because it didn't happen when you want it to happen, it'll happen later on, right? You, you guys asked for it. We gave you a warning. So why did he create it? He created what the human being we're gonna is gonna ask for, right? Subhanallah, what he knows the human being is gonna have. What if busy moms can't go to the masjid? You can do whatever you want at home. Two, four, six, eight, ten, twenty dakas, however much you want. Uh, all right, we said we we're gonna stick to why Islam questions here. Ask why a person choose hellfire over a loving god yes that's true why would you choose hellfire when the claim is that your creator loves you and he wants to give you something why would you reject that claim right ajib it's 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 an emotional thing all right folks let's stop here and we will be in the ta'ala um pause and we will be back tomorrow a word from our we have some proud sponsors number one meccabooks.com is where you're going to get the best books on Islamic theology, spirituality, law, translations of the Quran, MeccaBooks.com. And any of you studying for the MCATs, there's a brother, he told me he's going for the MCATs tomorrow. So he's going to go tonight. It's traveling distance. So he's Musafir. He's going to break his fast there in, 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 tonight. And then he's going to wake up tomorrow and he'll have the excuse from, uh, from Allah, the valid excuse. And he's going to take advantage of Allah's rukhsa uh, that he gave him to break his fast and take his MCAT exam. So professors121, the digits 121, professors121.com is where you're going to get your tutoring online or on site in person. Okay. For tutoring so that you can get educate and you could get the MCATs and the LSATs and the SATs and get the scores that you're looking for. And even anything, algebra, geometry. Whatever you want to study, all right, you're going to do that. So, Jazakumullah khairan, everyone. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk. Wal asr. Inna al-insana lafi khusr. Illa al-lazina amanu wa aminu al-salihat. Wa tawasubu al-haq. Wa tawasubu al-sabr. Wa